Hi, I'm Eric Dewey from the Socially Awkward Studios, Science and Beer, and Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And you're listening to another proud presentation of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Check out more shows at foureyedradio.com. Today on Ranger Command Power Hour. Welcome, humans. Uh, uh. So who are you? Like, what are you? I am Zordon, an interdimensional being caught in a time warp. And my name is Alpha Five. Excuse me, but will like somebody come back to Earth and pick me up? Because I am totally confused. It's quite simple, my dear. This planet is under attack, and I have brought you here to save it. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> ah, a non-believer. Look behind you at the viewing globe. Your doubts will be answered in the images you see. You've been chosen to form an elite team to battle Rita. Each of you will be given access to extraordinary powers drawn from the ancient creatures you call dinosaurs. Dinosaurs? Behold, the keys to your power. Whoa, what are these? Those are your power morphers. When in danger, raise them to the sky, calling the name of your dinosaur, and you will morph into a formidable fighting force known to one and all as the Power Rangers. As Power Rangers, you will have access to a universe of power and will command a fleet of fighting machines called Zords. Observe the viewing globe. Just as the five of you work together, so do your Zords. When you need help, you need only to turn to the power of the Dinosaurs, which will come together to form the mighty Megazord. Let the power protect you. And now on Ranger Command Power Hour. Hey, 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 hey. It's the Ranger Command Power Hour. Today on the Power Hour, episode 40, Ranger Nation interview, David J. Fielding, recorded on April 27th, 2015. Welcome to the Ranger Command Power Hour on the Four Eyed Radio Network. Summer Ranger up with your hosts. I'm Eric also known as TrekkieB47. And I'm Zach, also known as the Cinema Slob. This episode is brought to you by Revenge Lover, illustration and designs that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Today we are interviewing David J. Fielding, best known in Ranger Nation as Zordon, the Power Rangers mentor and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers through In Space. He voiced Zordon in the first season of the show, and his likeness was used for all of Zordon's appearances. David holds two degrees in acting, a BFA from Texas State and an MFA from the University of Pittsburgh. In addition to his stage and film work, David has provided voice work for video games including Empire Earth and Dungeon Siege Legends of Arana and Anvil of Dawn. His published works have appeared in Never Met Press, Rebel E Publishers LLC, Sourcepoint Press, The Capes and Clockwork Anthology from Dark Oak Press, and the recently released Something Strange is Going On Anthology from Flinch Books. His novella Buddy Holly and the Cold Cold Ground was released by Cool Beans in October 2014. You can also read his blog at The Dow of Zordon at therealzordon.wordpress.com. Welcome to Ranger Command Power Hour, David. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's good to have you here. First, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. I got to meet you at Lexington this past March. How did you like Lexington? Was it a lot of fun? Lexington was amazing. I'd have to put up there with one of the best comp experiences I've ever had. It was just a really, really great show. So many great people there. And I got to meet some of the other Rangers that I had never met before. And then, of course, meeting some of the original cast from the Zoo Ranger show was just absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah. They were really great. They were a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I wanted to ask, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, background? So how did you get involved in theater and actually studying acting? Well, as a kid, I grew up reading comic books, and I was a big Marvel comic book fan, and and I was always acting those out for my parents. Uh, My dad was in the Air Force, and he had brought home a... uh, a parachute for us to play with and I always set it up as a curtain and would put on these plays of these comic books that I read for my parents. So from an early age I was always sort of had an itch to perform. As I got older I kind of got scared of it but when I was in high school I, I finally made the leap to step on stage and at that point it just really took off and that's what I knew I wanted to do. And from high school I went to junior college and junior college I went to Texas State and got a BFA and then through the resident theater auditions I actually got into the MFA program at the University of Pittsburgh. And then from there, I moved out to Los Angeles. That was around the time when Power Rangers was coming along? Right. One of the friends that I had had from Texas State, she was actually out in California already, and she was working at Saban. She was assistant director, I believe, on, on a couple of their other projects. And she had given me a phone call one day saying, hey, they're shooting a pilot for this kid's TV show, and I think you'd be really great for it. And I went down thinking that it was just going to be another cattle call, you know, 500 other guys. But mm-hmm. it turns out it was just me and this other guy, and that's what I found out that they were planning to cast it that day and then shoot the following week. So it was a very unusual kind of process uh, from my kind. I mean, if you talk to the other actors in the show, you know, they went through weeks, if not a Mm -hmm. a month or so of of auditions before they were cast. Wow. So yeah, that is kind of weird that it just (laughs) happened that way and not much competition for the role, I guess. I guess a lot of people don't realize how Zordon was created from a technical standpoint. So what was the process of filming Zordon in the two? It was very interesting and kind of low budget in a way. When I went down to the warehouse where they were going to film the character, I went into makeup and they shaved all my hair off and used some sticky glue to paste my ear back and highlighted my eyebrows some and then painted the rest of my chest and upper neck with latex green paint. And then we went into the into the larger space where they had all the cameras and everything set up and the lights. And they sat me in a chair in front of a green screen for like three hours, three and a half hours, something like that. And we just did a number of takes of the lines for the pilot for the show. And the rest of the cast was there because they would feed me lines and then I would respond to them. And then mm-hmm. we did a number of takes. And then I was asked to do a number of facial expressions, tilting my head one way or another, just so that they could get enough coverage. And uh, from that point, you know, then they closed down and everybody shook hands and had a big congratulations kind of thing. And then everybody kind of went their separate ways. And at that point, you know, it was still sort of like, well, maybe somebody will pick it up. We're not sure if it's going to be a TV series or not. And so I went home and I went back to work. And then like a month later, I got a phone call saying, hey, the show got picked up. Congratulations, you're on a TV show. And I was like, wow, that's really great. When do I report to film? And they said, oh, well, we're not going to film your character anymore. So there was the excitement about being part of a TV show. And then the disappointment of Mm -hmm. being told that, oh, well, (laughs) you're just going to be a voice from now on. Oh, wow. That's pretty crazy. From Saban's standpoint, because it just seemed to make a whole lot of sense. And from a business standpoint, it was fantastic for them because Mm -hmm. they only had to pay me for that one day. And then they owned that footage and were able to use it over and over for however many seasons. From a money standpoint, it was great for them. It sucked for me. But I mean, at the same time, because the show became so popular, it's just something really great to be a part of. Definitely. And then what was it like uh, recording the voice of Zordon? 
And what I'm interested to know, because it seems like you really like science fiction and comics just from following you on Facebook. Sure. Which is awesome, because I'm a big sci-fi nerd, too. (laughs) Uh, I'm always into Star Trek, and I mean, that's one of my huge fandoms, aside from Power Rangers. So I wanted to ask, did you have any influences from either science fiction or fantasy that you based your performance of Zordon? Well, actually, the influence, the major influence that I used was from my love of Greek mythology. Mm. Uh, Growing up, like I said, growing up, I was a big fan of comic books. So when I found out I was going to be on a superhero show, I was on the moon. I was like, oh, my gosh, I get to be on a superhero show. And what really excited me was that at the time, Saban was also doing the X-Men cartoon. So uh, Mm -hmm. I was on the same channel with the X-Men. And, (laughs) you know, for for me, that was just way, way too exciting. And, you know, the character uh, of Zordon really is sort of like a Professor X type anyway. So... There is that aspect to it. But but for me, my influence for the voice of the character came from Greek mythology because during the audition process, the other gentleman that auditioned for the role, he went a completely different angle with it. His voice was very sort of kind of a higher pitch and seemed to be much more of a, a weird old man kind of voice. And I went with a much more of a Zeus-like character. That's really where mm-hmm. the influence for me came. Is What I was told is that the character was this interdimensional being who was trapped in a time warp, and it would be just my head that would be showing. And if you watch the original Lost pilot, where they yeah. they had the jello-like effect on the character, <laughs> you, you really couldn't tell who it was behind there. So that's one of the reasons why I went with the, the deeper, much more authoritative voice. And during the audition, I remember very clearly Austin St. John sitting there going, well, I think we found our Zoltar. And that's the voice I tried to maintain throughout all the episodes that I voiced. And you voiced all of the first season? or uh, I believe it's the first 31 episodes after that. Robert, okay. Robert Manahan took over after that point. Can you share with us what the reason for that change was? By the time that the show was ready to go on the air, I was very done living in Los Angeles. Mm. I felt like I was spending all of my time in my car, driving here or there, going to work, doing these things. And in a way, I felt very disconnected from the show because I would get a call every couple of weeks to come in and do these lines for three or four episodes at a time but because of the way the character was done you know sometimes it was maybe just one line per episode or two lines per episode and mm-hmm. and so it just didn't feel very that I was a part of it uh, all the rest of the guys they were on set every day they got to hang out and do that kind of thing and and it was really nice I mean I got to meet Richard Horvitz and Paul, Schre- yeah. Paul Schreier and Kerrigan Mahan and Barbara Goodson but it was just very infrequently, you know, that I would get to meet these guys because most of the time mm-hmm. when we go into the ADR studio, it was just by myself, you know, in a booth looking at this screen, which had my face on it, but you couldn't tell what the lips were doing because they had fudged those out. So it was nice and it, it was interesting, but at the same time, it just felt like, well, you know, I could be doing something else. Yeah. So, like I said, I was just very unhappy living out there. Mm-hmm. And the way the job situation was at that time, I had this feeling hanging over me that I was just like one week away from living under a bridge. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I decided to head back east. And when I came back east, I actually ended up making a living as an actor for a while doing uh, commercials and voiceover and stuff. So I think it worked out well for me at, at that point. Looking back on it, if I'd stayed out there another year, I'm, I'm not sure how things would have turned out. But as far as I know, they didn't have any plans to bring the character out of the tube at all. So I don't know what I could have done about well, that. But 
Yeah, was that something that maybe you wanted for the character, or did you have any ideas on maybe where you wanted Zordon to go? Well, I've always been interested in writing, and I got to be pretty close with Tony Oliver, who was the head writer of the show at the time, and had I stayed out there, I think I would have been groomed to write episodes and stuff, but that's the very interesting thing about the character of Zordon. A lot of his backstory about where he came from and how he got these powers and ideas for these inventions and stuff that he would give to the characters, a lot of that was unexplored. They never really said, okay, what does Eltar actually look like? Or what is the society that he came from? And what was the real inciting incident between the war between him and Rita? I don't, you know, I don't know. Oh, yeah. And one of the big fan films uh, coming out explores that history from a fan perspective, Zordon of Eltar. Correct. Yep. I heard that you were involved with the MMPR fan film and possibly the sequel to Teenagers with Attitude. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I did provide voice work for MMPR. I'm I'm not really sure where they are with that right now. I I know that they had some issues with their special effects. Somebody might have left the team or something like that, so they were trying to find somebody else. But I did provide some lines for the character of Zordon for MMPR. I also helped uh, Cisco Davis with Zordon of Eltar. And there's the possibility that I'm might be involved with uh, the second part of Teenagers with Attitude, yeah. Nice. And I think that's one of the cool things about what Cisco's doing with his Zordon fan film is because there is such a hole that MMPR left that of the past that we don't know with Zordon. So I know a lot of people really like the character and want to see that history explored. So I'm glad that at least fans are taking the opportunity to maybe fill in the blanks. Yeah, it looks really great. I've seen a lot of the footage of it, and it just, with the budget and stuff that he's had, I think he's done, like, an amazing job with it. Yeah, definitely. So, going back to Power Rangers, did you ever stay and kept up with the show throughout the years? Not really. I watched the first episode when it first aired. When Mm -hmm. I was out in California, I think it came on at like (laughs) 7.30 a.m. on a a Saturday morning or something (laughs) like that and had a bunch of friends over and we watched it and it was very exciting and kind of unreal in a way to see your name float across the TV screen. (laughs) But after that, I kind of lost track with it after the first year or so, Mm -hmm. simply because I was interested in doing other things. I was getting into voice work for video games and design for video games. And on one hand, it was sort of like this really neat anecdote that I could tell people at parties or um, (laughs) and you go through your life and I was just very surprised that it was still on the air and then about five years ago I started to get a lot of people asking me about well where are you what's going on how do you feel about the show and and so forth and then I started digging into it I was like going wow this thing is really really going strong And so I was very surprised when I was asked to start attending conventions and stuff. Yeah, so going into conventions, when did you start getting really big into the convention scene? Because you've done a couple Power Morphicons, right? Uh, Just one, actually. Oh, just one? Okay, so this past one. Correct. I think it was in 2011, there's a, an animation con that happens in Pittsburgh called Tekka Shokan, and mm-hmm. they found out that I was living in Pittsburgh at the time and wanted to know if I wanted to be a special guest, and I said, yeah, I'd love to. And that was really the first time that I experienced how the fans felt about the character and uh, was really sort of humbled and taken aback by the kind of impact that the show and the character had. And at that time, I was really sort of naive as far as how conventions and, and stuff go, and I didn't have a booking agent or anything like that. I was just sort of doing it because I thought it was the best way to give back to the fans that watch the show. 
it was very interesting to hear stories about people that either came from a single parent family or from a Bokram home or whatever, and, and the show really sort of filled a void for them. So it was really great to see how positive the show was for people. The experience of interacting with the fans, that's got to be a great feeling. Yeah, for the most part, it is. For the 20th anniversary, that was a couple years ago, was there anything that you did to like maybe catch up with the show? Have you ever gone back and watched past episodes or check in to see what the new series are like? Uh, yeah, I did. I mean, I, I went back and I, because I, uh, I was getting a lot of questions from fans that I, that I didn't have the answer to. So I, I needed to go back and do my homework and, and find out what the writers did with the character. And as far as how they handled the exit of the character, I thought they did it with a really good way. I mean, they, they handled the mm-hmm character with respect and i think at the time that was they had planned for the series to end at that point that with zordon's death the whole thing would be tied up but again <laughs> money speaks and, and <laughs> so i mean you know they they knew that you know they had a had a nice font of income for that so they kept it going and that was the you know great thing about uh, going out to power morphicon and, and meeting uh, christopher Kamen lee who played andros and and him <laughs> seeing me for the first time and going oh my gosh i'm so sorry i killed you i'm like no 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 <laughs> Uh, you know, it's all for the greater good. And so we've chatted back and forth online and getting to reconnect with Austin, Walter and Dave was great because uh, unfortunately at the time that we filmed, I mean, I met them during the audition and then I met them the day that I filmed, but then that was about it. So I was very happy to know that they remembered who I was and sort of like welcomed me back into the family and getting to know the show and to see, you know, what they did with it. I mean, it was a lot of fun and, and watching Dino Charge, I really like it. I think it captures some of the feeling from the original first season and just the fact that it's it's dinosaur based and colors are really bright and the characters are just fun so i enjoyed it yeah it's a lot of fun i think the entire fandom is breathing a sigh of relief on how good dino charge is yes yeah. <laughs> the previous season before megaforce in the first episode their mentor which was like another head on the wall yeah mentioned that zordon was his mentor so do you have any thoughts on the fact that Zordon was mentoring a future mentor of the Power Rangers at some point? From a writer standpoint, I guess they were trying to recapture the same feeling mm-hmm. that the original season had, where you try to capture lightning in a bottle or recreate the magic over again. So to have this sort of disembodied face on a wall and have a robot companion, I guess you could see how they were trying to make nods to the original season but then also mm-hmm. kind of getting it wrong in a way, yeah. simply because Gosei was just a face. It didn't move. It didn't have any sort of emotion to it. It'd be very interesting to find out how many fans connected with that. I mean, or did they connect with it at all? Because even though Zordon was this sort of disembodied head, I mean, there was a, a sense of connection, a, you know, that right. you could see his eyes looking at you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If they brought Zordon back, we kind of talked a little bit this at, at Lexington. My friend Uchi, he brought it up. But do you have a theory on maybe how they could bring Zordon back? Um, well, uh, the character is described as an interdimensional being trapped in a time warp. So even if Andros shattered his energy tube, uh, did that actually kill the character or just break his connection to that plane of reality. And we're all creatures of energy anyway, and energy is never really destroyed. So I think it's quite possible that the character is still out there somewhere. It's just, you know, how would you go about finding him or 
what would be the reason for finding him and and what sort of mm-hmm. state would you find him in? Has he been trying to get back at all? Had, or has he been content, you know, saying, let the Rangers do things on their own? Again, it goes kind of goes back to the, the thing we talked about earlier. I mean, all of that background for the character was never really explored in the, right. in the canon of the show. So I think that's territory that's ripe to be explored. But, it, you know, it's all depending on what Saban wants to do with it at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think especially like you said, how, you know, with Dino Charge this season, there is some of that nostalgia factor in and a lot of people are asking or hoping for, of course, there was a, a team up in the Sentai with the Z-Ranger and then the Sentai that Dino Charge is based off of. And I think people really want to see an adaptation of that. And I mean, that could be a way to bring Zordon back somehow. Sure. I'd be all for it. Simply because I think the fans would, again... Kind of like how we are with Marvel comic books. I mean, seeing mm-hmm. things that happen on screen and just kind of like bouncing up and down in your seat going, that's so cool, that's so cool. I would so, absolutely uh, do that if, if Zordon came back. I'm not going to lie. I'm not even going to lie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and, and that, I think, would be the main reason to do it is, is to say to the fans, thank you for watching the show. We acknowledge the fact that you love the show. And let's give you a nice moment that you can like, oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. I know we're talking about the MCU being all connected, but... Power Rangers was doing that 22 years ago. Right, right. And that's the really fascinating thing about the Sentai show is that they have this sort of like through line of these characters. You can see how the fan base just sticks with it and continues to grow. And it's just it's just fun to be a part of. I kind of want to go back and just talk about (laughs) comic book fandom and and how great the times are where we have so many great (laughs) comic book movies coming out. I mean, you, you have to be as excited as we are for like Avengers and for some of the TV that's out there now. It is a glorious time to be alive <laughs> for a fan of superheroes, yes. You know, having grown up through the 70s and waiting and watching anything that came on the TV screen, the original Incredible Hulk show with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, even the really cheesy and bad Marvel movies that were made for TV, the the really... Uh... <laughs> I remember some of the, 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 the trial of the Incredible Hulk. and Oh, that and... and uh... <laughs> The 70s Spider-Man show that was on and the, the Doctor Strange movie they did. There was even an Iron Man one that they did was just so horrible. But, I mean, um, <laughs> uh, when the first Marvel movie came out, when Iron Man came out, you felt like this real sense of vindication, like, oh, my gosh, somebody gets it. Somebody understands. And all of the stuff that you read as a child, it just came to life on, on screen and it looked so good. And the tag scene with Samuel L. Jackson was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Somebody finally getting the idea that, yes, it's all connected. We weren't going to have these <laughs> separate movies yeah. with characters that existed only by themselves. Both DC and Marvel, they have these interconnected universes. It was great to really see that. Take life. It was great. Yeah, I had to get Eric watching The Flash and Arrow. And he, oh, yeah. and he was like, you know, I don't know. Are they really good? And I said, trust me. You'll love them, especially the crossovers. When you get to see them interacting, you see these characters, and it's perfect. I was kind of biased just because I'm like, oh, CW, isn't that just like teeny bopper stuff? Well, that, <laughs> but, that, but they're doing great stuff. Yeah, I mean, that that's my feeling, too. The CW is the sort of pretty people channel. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> and, I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's like everybody in the show is just, wow, they're really good looking. And comic books... The more interesting people are, are like, you know, your Frank Grillo's or something like that that have like these hard faces and stuff. 
But The Flash is really great. I, I have a friend, Curtis Crick, who works special effects on the show, so that that's really cool. And it's just a really glorious time to be a fan of comedy. <laughs> it really, really is. Tomorrow night's episode is going to be Gorilla Grodd, and I just... <laughs> <laughs> that blows my mind. The fact that we're going to see a live-action Gorilla Grodd on TV is right. just mind-blowing to me. Well, uh, yeah, it's fantastic that they finally take a talking gorilla <laughs> seriously. And, you know, you finally get the idea that, oh, my gosh, this is a very dangerous character. And, and you know, it, that's the really awesome thing about it. They released some photos today, and he looks so imposing and menacing, and I can't wait to see it in action. Oh, man, i got to catch up on that. <laughs> uh, well, what do I really love about what Marvel and uh, has done with the MCU, and if you guys have watched Daredevil, the, the series... Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, I need to catch uh, up. Yeah, yeah. Daredevil is able to do sort of the thing that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't able to get away with because of the censors and stuff, but they do such a really nice job of these understated Easter eggs that if you're a fan of comic books, you see it and you get it, and that's all you need. Just a poster on a wall or something that's part of the set decoration that you go, I know exactly what that is. And it's just a really nice way that Marvel has invited the fans into these things and said, okay, we're going to do this because we know it's going to mean something to you. Like, you take the old shows that they had on TV, like The Incredible Hulk or whatever like that. The only thing that was comic book or superhero is whenever Lou Ferrigno was on the scene. The sets just look like TV sets mm. or just plain old things. But take a really hard look at some of these shows and, and some of the stuff that's in the background. For example, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., there was one episode that came out shortly before Captain America Winter Soldier aired where the character of Fitz invented this really high-powered cutting tool that would just slice through metal really quickly. And then Nick Fury was using it in Captain America Winter Soldier yeah. to escape. And it was like, the fact that they interconnect that kind of stuff just gives it that much more meaning for fans and stuff. And I think that's fantastic. I love it when they do that. I yeah. love sitting there and going, okay, where are the Easter eggs? Where can I find them? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I was going to talk about one for Daredevil, but since you haven't caught up yet, I'm, I'm just going to leave it alone. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate it. I've seen the whole series. But yeah, they do like the name of a building or that kind of stuff that hints to other characters in this bigger universe. And I think that's what I like most about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that you can have something that's, serious but kind of campy like agents of shield but then you can have something dark and gritty like daredevil and yet it's still in the same universe you're just seeing another aspect of it right and you know the fact that they grounded in reality that you think wow this actually could happen and that's what's really great like the first time you meet wilson fisk in daredevil and he, he gets his jacket sliced open and you see that it's you know it's got this layer of uh, protection to it and you wonder where that's going to come from and then later on in the series you find out who's making it and you go oh i know who that character is and I, exactly. that's just mind-blowing because they don't give him a big backstory they don't tell you really who he is i mean they just say his name and they show you what he's doing and if you if you've read the comic books you're like oh my god i can't believe they did that that's fantastic and i think that's what's great because it seems like there's a convention every week somewhere right <laughs> in multiple places and I, in fact, this past weekend, I was just at uh, C2E2 here in Chicago, and it's massive. And to see a convention center just completely filled with fans 
of superhero stuff, whereas maybe 10, 15 years ago, they weren't that big. It's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, you know, like I said, I mean, it's a glorious time to be alive. The fact that the comic Palooza down in Houston has Jeremy Renner and Mark Ruffalo, it just blows your mind. I mean, that's going to be pretty exciting for you, too, when you're at these conventions. And you're a guest, but you're also a guest alongside all these other great people. I mean, that's got to be a huge, like, a really nice feeling. Yeah, I have my fanboy moments, too. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I got to sit next to and shake hands and talk with Vernon Wells and, and just kind of, like, pinch myself and say, that's... That's Wes from the Road Warrior. Oh my gosh, you know, and and got to meet J. August Richards, and was like, dude, you're Deathlock. I'm one close. I'm one step closer to the Avengers. And uh, so that's the big perk for me is you know just being able to sort of meet some of these people and and say thank you for the work you do. It's great. I know you're doing a free comic book day? Correct. I'll be down at Dragon's Lair Comics in Austin, Texas on May 2nd with the beautiful Karen Ashley. So we'll be there all day on Saturday, starting I think at like 10 in the morning until like 5 o'clock that evening. Excellent. And this episode releases May 2nd, so if you're listening to this now in the morning and you're in Austin, Texas area, (laughs) get down to Dragon Lair's Comics and get your autographs (laughs) yeah the other thing is on april 30th i'll be down in in that area anyway and a bunch of employees from dragon's lair and some cosplayer we're all going to go see uh age of ultron together so that'll be oh very nice oh nice very cool i've got to get my ticket Uh, i gotta get my ticket before they sell out (laughs) (laughs) i'm so excited i just i love how the, the movies have come together and the latest teaser or clip that they released for Ultron just he looks so creepy and menacing and his, well, his voice is just dripping with this snarky sarcasm that's perfect the thing that's most exciting for me about Age of Ultron is I get to see my third favorite Marvel character of all time come to life and that's the Vision so yeah <laughs> I'm very excited for that. Yeah, I saw the preview clip for that, and I was like, oh, man, just the effects yeah. of, of his character and how that looks. It, it looks really good. Yeah. And, you know, who thought we'd ever see the Vision I know. in the MCU? It's crazy. Yeah. You grow up reading these comic books, and, and I you know, I remember collecting, like, the giant-sized editions, and, and I had giant-sized uh, Avengers when Yellow Jacket and the Wasp got married, and... The wedding was interrupted by the Circus of Crime, and, you know, you have this giant boa constrictor, and, and <laughs> uh, you know, you, you just kind of hope that something like that might happen, might sneak it in somehow. <laughs> but, you know. I know that the trailer for Ant-Man, when they showed the big climactic battle on top of a train, and then you pull back, and it's a little toy train, <laughs> that, I was, I was laughing so hard. I was like, you know what, I have to go see this movie, because that I know. was amazing. I- I know, I, because of the way the entertainment industry works and because we're all, you know, we have that sort of, just that small, cynical part of yourself as an adult thinking, oh, okay, when are they going to jump the shark with this stuff? And, and, <laughs> and you know, there was, that, there was a hint that maybe they'll do it with Guardians, but Guardians turned out to be so much fun. And, I was and, so surprised by that. Yeah, it was such a great thing. And so, you know, there's part of me that watches the Ant-Man trailer and going, is this the one? Is this the one where they jump the shark? But then you see Thomas the Train Engine is just, that's going to be fun. <laughs> Yeah, because I know there was a lot of cynicism with Guardians, and a lot of people saw the trailer and were like, what is this? This doesn't look good. And then it was like the number one movie of the summer when it came out, and it's like... Well, as soon as you get to the part where the credits where Chris Pratt is dancing, it's... Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in it. You know, you got my money. Thanks. Good job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, well, do you have any thoughts about where they might go with the new Power Rangers reboot movie? As a writer, where would you want to see that go? That's interesting. That's an interesting question because you want to kind of stay true to the original material, but at the same time, you want to bring it into how things have matured over the last 20 years or so. And we as moviegoers and we have, as consumers of this type of entertainment, we do sort of mature. You're just not going to settle for what you've seen before. So you're going to want to update it and, and sort of bring it into today's world, the Joseph Hahn, uh, Avi Shankar uh, thing that came out, I think just before mid-February when that came out, the dark and gritty Power Rangers. Yeah, Power Slashers. Right. Um, and it was very interesting to see the divide uh, amongst the fans for that. And I've had a number of people asking me about, well, how, do you, how did you feel about that? Is that what the reboot is going to be like? On one hand, you know, you watch it and you think, okay, Here's what can happen when you give an idea to somebody who knows how to use a camera, who knows about color palettes, who knows about writing and or lighting and can really paint a really good picture and capture some really nice images. And and so, you know, when I was watching it, I thought, well, this is really, really well done. It captures all of the things that you might want to see in, in a grim and gritty version of Power Rangers. But at the same time, it wasn't Power Rangers. Right. The suits were there. The fighting and stuff was there. But at the same time, it's like the thing that made Power Rangers fun was that it was cheesy and goofy and you had giant robots fighting giant monsters. And at the end of the day, they won. So kudos to, for them for figuring out that if you really wanted to beat the Power Rangers, you had to take them out one at a time. I also loved the twist ending. I thought that having Rita be the bad guy was just – that was so awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's not Power Rangers mm -hmm. because of the level of violence and gore. Also, some of the things that they talked about in the production videos about why they did it. You know, if you had such a problem with Zordon, why didn't you have Zordon in the film? They didn't really talk about how the character got taken out or removed or or what happened to Alpha or, or any of those things. So as a writer, how would I handle the reboot? I would try to keep some of the elements that the old fans would love and the new fans would sort of like really be excited about you're going to have to have the original five or six are you going to introduce tommy in the first movie or are you going to keep him for the sequel all of the fans are such big fans of the green with evil saga and so yeah it's like how do you if you want to do that as your first movie how would you do that and still have time to introduce the origin of the core rangers right i mean in, a, in like a two-hour movie right because you know the original tv series you had rita repulsa who was really sort of a witchy poo from hr not hr puff and stuff uh, right. <laughs> and and still sort of had that saturday morning goofiness to it mm -hmm. so how do you bring that into the modern age take a look at cisco's film i mean what he does with rita and that one is is wow that's a pretty good take on that what's going to keep the the childlike quality of it but also bring it into an area where somebody who's 30 years old is really going to enjoy it too as well mm -hmm. yeah they have a big challenge on their hands sure do sure. yeah yeah mm -hmm. I think you're right, you know, keeping some of the camp value as well, having cheesy moments or, you know, little comedy bits is important to the heart of the of the franchise as well. Right, and given the fact that the technology these days is so much more advanced than when the first movie came out, I mean, you take a look at something like Pacific Rim and you think, okay, well, the, mm -hmm. the Zords could look really cool, but we'll see where they go with that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
Where can people find you on the web, David? Well, I have my Instagram account, which is DJF Zordon. You can find me at, on Twitter at Zordon2012. You can connect with me on Facebook. I have the Zordon fan page on Facebook, which is I think is also Zordon2012. And you can also find me on Amazon.com. That's where all of the short stories and the anthologies and stuff that I've, I've written are up there. Excellent. And any upcoming uh, projects you want to talk about that might be in the work? Yeah, uh, Capes and Clockwork 2, which is superheroes in steampunk. The second volume of that anthology comes out pretty soon. I have a story in another anthology called Write the Cover, which uh, deals with science fiction and robots. I have a story in a fantasy anthology called The Dragon's Horde, which all have dragons as part of the theme. I also have a story that's coming out in this fall for a zombie theme anthology. I think it all has to do with zombies and bicycles, so that's very interesting. Oh, zombies and bicycles. <laughs> I'm very that's like uh, superheroes and steampunk. I'm going to have to read that Capes and Clockwork because that's yeah. How... The first Capes and Clockwork anthology, I bring those characters back in the second anthology, so it's sort of a continuation uh, of those characters from one one anthology to the next. Well, then I have homework to do before the next one comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, David, for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's uh, been really nice having you on. Thank you very much. It's it's been uh, great uh, talking to you, and thanks for having me on. Uh, and hey, you know, we got to talk comics. I'm, I'm all about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> hey. Well, we'll have, we'll have to uh, talk again once, uh, you know, another Marvel movie comes out. <laughs> I'd love to be on. I'd love to talk about that. Absolutely. We'll, we'll change the whole theme of the show. It'll be the Marvel Power Hour. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, David. All right. Have a good night. You too. You too. See you. You've been listening to the Ranger Command Power Hour, only on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can catch a new episode every other Saturday. Find us on the Morphing Grid at www.rangercommand.com. Follow us on Twitter at rangercommandph, and like us on facebook.com slash rangercommandpowerhour. This is Trucky B47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour, and you are listening to the Four Eyed Radio Network. Ranger Command is now on Patreon. Become a patron by pledging as much or as little as you like every month and receive cool perks. By pledging, you are helping us make our show even better. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more. Thanks. This has been another great presentation of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can catch more shows at foureyedradio.com.